Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. and I'm excited to announce a way for you to get your book started and finished. The Get Your Book Finished course is designed for you. By the end of this program, you'll have a clear understanding of how a book can change your life and the knowledge about what makes a book sell. You'll get guidelines on how to make your book compelling to readers and an easy-to-use, customizable system for writing your book. The program is designed for you if you want to finally write and finish your book. You want to parlay your knowledge to build a larger platform for yourself that can lead to coaching, consulting, public speaking, online course creation, or collaborations. It's for you if you would like to have an experienced author to take you by the hand and walk you through the process of successfully completing your book. This program is not for you if you want to write fiction or poetry, or you don't want to put in the necessary work to write your book. I do work with authors as a ghostwriter to help you if you just want to turn the writing over to me. In my course, you'll start your book over the course of a weekend and complete it with my help over a three-month period. Get all the details about the next time I offer the course by going to patire.com. That's P-A-T-I-Y-E-R.com. We focus in this podcast on some of the concepts that relate to writing books that advance your business. We've gone through some models of different types of books, how books are utilized, how they are available to create a platform for you to build your business, And I brought on the show today, Mari Ryan, who is the author of a book called The Thriving Hive, which she graciously sent to me. I met her as part of my involvement with the C-Suite Radio Network. The C-Suite is the largest podcast platform in the world directed at business shows. As we were talking about her book, I realized that she had a unique format that she followed. And as I read it in preparation for talking with her today, I was intrigued by the way she put the information together in a story format. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Let's take you back to where you were at the time that you were getting ready to write this book. First of all, was this your first book that you wrote? Yes, this is my first book. Okay, terrific. You could have taken many routes, but tell our listener, what is the general area of the subject matter that you consult on or you coach on with businesses? I'm a workplace well-being strategist. I'm working generally with organizations that tend to be larger, have, you know, a thousand or more employees. And I'm working with them to help them create a culture and an environment in their workplace where the people will thrive. And when people thrive, the business thrives. And now that we're recording this in July of 2020, it will be 
occurred later than this, but the workplace has changed dramatically. We're no longer having individuals going to a building every day working. Are the concepts that you talk about in this book and the concepts that you consult on, are they applicable whether people are working in their homes or they're working inside a corporate setting? It doesn't matter where people are working because the whole point is that people still need to be working. And in order for a business to achieve their business objectives, they need to have an engaged workforce that is productive. And when we take care of ourselves and when we have the opportunity to encourage people to live healthy lifestyles and provide resources to them to help them do that, they can be more engaged and more productive. So absolutely, this all applies. And in some cases, some might think it's more difficult now because people are, you know, many workforces are now more distributed. But in reality, it's um, still equally as important. I mean, after all, we just paused the entire world to pay attention to our health. We need to be able to make sure we do that going forward. It's an interesting way of describing it. We certainly have gone into some radically different ways of interacting with people, of being with each other. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was in in the supermarket in Pennsylvania, and literally every person I saw was wearing a mask, and everybody was respectful and keeping their distance, and I thought, how much our behavior has changed just in that one piece of our life of going into the store to do our food shopping, much less our work environments and connecting with people through other means, through online platforms, all of that has changed. And yet, if I'm following what you're saying, our fundamental ways of interacting with each other haven't changed in terms of a work culture or work environment. Well, hopefully they haven't changed all that much. You know, people still need to feel that they belong in an organization. They want to be connected to the people they work with. They want to be connected to the purpose and the the mission of the organization for which they work. So that hasn't changed. And, you know, we just have to think about, you know, as you say, we modified our behavior pretty quickly. And we're probably going to have to continue to make modifications to our behavior as we go forward. So I think it's all still relevant and certainly valid. This has become so much of what you do in terms of helping companies. What was your motivation behind putting a book together on the topic? I'm a speaker as an aspect of business development. And in some cases, I'm paid to speak as well. And I've learned through my long affiliation with the National Speakers Association that speakers who have books earn more money than speakers that don't have books. So having been hanging out at NSA for a long time, I've seen a lot of um, very successful speakers and the books that they've written. So that was one of my motivating factors. And I had a story I wanted to tell. I've been involved with NSA for a long time as well. And I can think of times that we have heard a magnetic speaker and then we go out into the hallway and there's piles and piles of that person's book available in the author is sitting behind a table and handing them out. I've gotten books from some really well-known speakers that way and have always gone to the bookstore at every conference 
and browsed through and said, oh, I've got to buy that book from that speaker. Uh, he was great or she was great. What do you think is behind the fact that speakers who write books earn more money? You know, let's pull that apart because I do believe that that's true. Well, I think there's a number of things. I think, you know, when you are delivering a message from the stage that is really impactful or today's stage, which is here, um, when you're delivering a message that's really impactful, people want to, people feel a connection with that. And when they feel that connection, they want that to continue. So it strikes something emotional for them and makes them want to learn more or hear more. And this is where the add-on, you know, element of the book can carry that into, you know, carry that forth. And then it also gives them the ability to be able to share that, you know, if it struck them personally or hit them emotionally, as we hope to do with our motivating stories, then they're going to share that with someone else. So you could take that book that I sent you and hand it to the next person and say, this is something you really want to read. It's a great story. And I think that all translates into dollars because the more people are um, feeling a connection to what you're doing and to the, um, to the message that you're delivering, then organizations um, are willing to pay for that and people are willing to pay for their books or the organization buys the book as part of your you know, speaker deal. Um, so that all translates to dollars. And when did your book come out in relation to where we are now? The book, was, the book was published in uh, the fall, um, well, it, in the fall of 2018. And then in the uh, early part of 2019, it won a National Business Book Award. Hmm. So the timing of this was that when your book came out, you were able at that point to be on stages. We didn't get shut down from stages until about six months ago from when we're talking now or February, March. Did you have situations where organizations bought your book for each person in the audience? Um, not at this point, but that is one of my goals. That's what I aspire to. And then tell us about the business awards that the book earned. How did that come about? Uh, it was something I submitted um, my book as an entry for a National Business Book Award. It's called the Axiom Business Book Award. And they have about 25 or so different categories for uh, the books. And it's a very well-recognized National Business Book Award. So I submitted my book and I was fortunate that Patrick Lencione didn't write a book that year and because uh, I was in the category of business fables. And uh, I won a second place award. I've read some of Patrick's books and I remember that model as being intriguing. So tell us what is a business book fable? What does that mean? Well, it's really a story. And if you think about this, you know, we're both speakers and we know that, you know, when we, when we tell stories, we can deliver a message and, and at the same time, you know, be able to give the, the listener and the reader something really memorable that they, are, they can relate to. 
that may strike some emotional aspect for them, may strike um, memories for them. And, you know, when we think about how messages have been passed in history, they're passed through stories. So stories are a very powerful way to be able to deliver a message. And I chose to use the story or the fable or parable, however you want to, you know, whichever word you want to use format, because I, I love to read. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I read, you know, 50, 60 books a year and I, I love stories. And I thought, what, you know, wouldn't that be a fun way to really be able to deliver some messages? You know, if we think about this from a business perspective, you know, um, Who Moved My Cheese, right, was a huge book that, you know, for, for ages, everybody knew what Who Moved My Cheese meant. Well, that's the kind of, that's a parable, right? So that's the way I wanted to be able to deliver the message in my story. Your story takes place with a, a woman who is troubled, who goes to visit a man who has retired and is a mentor and a business leader. And you use the, the description of a beehive with very functional, healthy behaving bees and another beehive where there's some really dysfunctional behavior. What led you to think about using bees as a way to give the fable about functional versus dysfunctional organizational behavior? Well, that's a great question, Pat. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to read the book and, and for that thoughtful question. You know, I was looking for that metaphor for the workplace. And, you know, I could have just set it in two, you know, fictitious companies or one fictitious company that went through a transition. But I liked being able to use the bees as the metaphor because bees are, bees are very interesting. And I will tell you that I didn't know a lot about bees before I wrote this book. So I had to do a lot of research around bees to be able to mostly, because not always, um, portray it correctly. But I also wanted to be able to show this contrast between the fact that what might be thought as a more traditional type of workplace, more command control, top-down driven, what might be considered like an old style of management that maybe doesn't work so well anymore today. And while that's a sort of a black and white characterization, part of what you do in a story is these characterizations. You show this stark contrast between something that works well and maybe something that doesn't work so well. So the dive hive, which is the perhaps less desirable hive, um, characterizes that command and control type of behavior where people really aren't cared for and where everybody is just really wor working towards one goal, which is profit. It's all about the numbers. It's about making money. It's all about profit. And we've seen that that is a message that at least, you know, in many ways today is we're hearing from many very influential business leaders that profit is not the only goal. Profit is an outcome, but it's not the goal. And by setting up these contrasting hives, where in the alive hive, where the leadership cares for the people where they have a purpose that's bigger than just profit. It's creating a 
an, an environment and a world in which the bees pollinate the plants and the fruits and the vegetables so that people have food to healthy food to eat. So it's tied to a purpose. And purpose is really a key element in the organizational story of being able to help people really connect to something that's bigger than themselves. I know that when you were giving your acknowledgments of the book that you referred to the fact that you spoke to some CEOs, mm -hmm. I think it was 10 people, in order to frame some of your thoughts related to the book. Were any of these CEOs the command and control type of people? <laughs> Actually, they weren't. Um, when I was interviewing CEOs, the questions that I asked them were, um, well, there might have been one. He actually was a former boss. Um, so the, for the most part, they were really caring people who recognized that if they only focused on profit and didn't care for the people, they were probably not going to achieve their business objectives. So I asked them questions about, you know, what, what, in their mind created um, a highly effective organization. And it was interesting to hear what some of their answers were. And a lot of the stories, there's some, some of the stories that they actually told me are embedded in, in the parable and the ways that they manage and lead their organizations to really put people first. Then I'm assuming if you had the examples from them about what was really effective, you were able to flip that so that when you were describing the dive hive, you were talking about the antithesis of that behavior. Is that a correct assumption? Yes, absolutely. And in addition to which, with my own experience of many years of working in business and, you know, the stories of, you know, people I've worked with in my career, um, I think it's pretty easy to be able to create the dive hive characterization of leaders that don't care about people that, um, you know, will do whatever they can to, you know, kind of use up the people and then push them aside and bring in the next round of people who will help them accomplish their goal of profit. You know, so it's, it's a characterization that has existed um, I would say, in business for many years. So it wasn't that hard to be able to create that characterization. Mm -hmm. Have you ever worked in a dive hive, Pat? I have not. I worked for seven years in a hospital where there was um, a great deal of forward thinking a great deal of recognition of the value of having highly educated people on staff. I was director of staff development, my first job after I got my master's degree. And I came in with lots of knowledge from my program. I was just talking about this actually with another person because one of the things that I learned about in graduate school was change management, which directly relates, I think, to what we're talking about. And I came across the term change agent. And I asked my instructor in my graduate program what that meant. And she said, well, why don't you look it up? Which is a perfectly good academic response because it mm -hmm. forced me to go to the library back 
before we had the ability to sit at our desks and use computers. And I learned about change management. And when I took my first position as director of staff development, I spent a week working in the hospital. I was in charge of the nursing staff development. I spent a week working on each of the nursing units as a staff nurse. Mm -hmm. Took six weeks and I took care of patients and I charted and I got to know the people. And those six weeks yielded me years worth of benefits because the staff saw me as somebody who could do the work, the same work as they were doing. They realized that I was there to learn and to get to know people. And I developed relationships that I could then build on throughout the seven years that I was in charge of nursing education. It prevented me from getting into the mindset that I think is part of the command and control of do it my way. I don't really care what you have to say. I, I know best. You don't know best. I learned how to listen and to absorb and to recognize everybody's perspective that went into making sound decisions. So no, I can't say I have worked in that environment, but I became an entrepreneur because I really wanted the freedom to be able to be in control of my life and not have to go through a committee process or wait for weeks or months to implement a new project. When you own your own business, you can make a decision today. You could say today, I want to do this and you put it in place and it's, it's done. But if you're part of a bureaucratic structure, that doesn't work that way. Right. Well, I'm congratulations. I'm, I'm really delighted to hear that you've not, never had the experience of working in a dive hive. I think many of our listeners will relate to the story about the dive hive because so many of us have. And you're very fortunate to have the mm-hmm. opportunity to have worked in a place that was much more nurturing and forward thinking. Thank you. I think that comes from the woman who was the vice president of nursing who mm-hmm. got it. Let's go to your, the structure of your book again, because I'm curious when you sat down and you started to write this, did you have this all mapped out or did it evolve as you were writing? Um, I did not have it all mapped out, I will admit. Um, So that was one of the things, you know, I I knew the key points. So the key points that I wanted to make and the key kinds of behaviors that I wanted to identify and describe, I had those mapped out. And then what I needed to do, um, I did work with a a book coach to help me with this, who also Mm -hmm. served as my editor and did the production work, um, you know, when we got ready to publish. And those, uh, we would meet once a week. And so I would be writing every week with the goal of having, you know, certain part done. And we would brainstorm about, you know, where do we go next? Or she would give me feedback on what she'd read. And that process, the back and forth, really helped me, you know, build the story, um, identify, you know, the, the arc of the story where it gets to a place where, you know, there's a catastrophe and they have to respond. And we see the differences of how the two organizations respond to the catastrophe. So it really was a very helpful process to help with how to carry that story arc through and 
and go back and forth between narration, a dive hive, and the alive hive. Mm -hmm. Interspersed with comments between the two human characters as well. Right. So that's carrying the story forward. Right. The narration aspect. Yeah. As you talk about the story arc, I realized that I was reading it. It didn't strike me at the time. I wasn't analytical enough to say, oh, that's where the crisis occurs. Right. But you are right. As I got pulled into the story, I could see there were two very different ways that they were approaching that problem. One with a live hive where people were effectively problem solving and looking at the problem from all different perspectives and the other where the queen was basically asleep and missing an action and not providing the leadership that the group needed. Exactly. There's the message right there. Well, we won't give away the end of the story. But those people who plan to read <laughs> yes. Thriving Hive, that is your book. That um, the book is also available on um, Audible, um, you know, as it's so it's, it's paperback and Audible and an ebook as well. So we meet everybody's varying needs and interests and in how they mm-hmm. like to read. And one of the things I love about the the audible aspect of it, you know, and, and having someone read you the story is that um, it, it comes to life in a way. And the narrate the woman who did the narration for the uh, the audio book she told me afterwards, there's 80 characters in this book and she uses some different voices, you know, different ways of personifying the, um, the bees. So it's the characters. So it's really fun to listen as if, if our audience prefers to be listeners rather than, um, Mm. you know, traditional readers. You know, that is a challenge. I mean, if in a, a book with that many characters, how could you alter your voice that many ways? <laughs> she was fabulous. She's she was really wow. good. Yeah. So, you know, for those who who prefer audiobooks to reading, then I'd highly recommend it. It's really fun. And it's it's short. It's three hours, you know, it's under three hours on on Audible. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet she had fun with that too. That's not yeah. the typical book that an audio narrator is asked to present. More like a novel. Novels tend to have lots of characters as well. Exactly. At least some novels. And she did a great job. Hmm. I noticed that, and I'm and maybe I'm correct in, in this assumption, that this was a independently published book? Yes, it was. Picasset Press? Is that Pi- how you pronounce Pi- it? Yeah, Picasset Pi- Press. Ah, Okay. Uh, there's been debate, and some of our guests have talked about the advantages and the disadvantages of independently publishing their books. What was the driving factor behind your decision to do that as opposed to go to a traditional publisher? I think there were two things. One was timing, and the other was control. Um, it would have taken a lot longer for me to, um, to sh- you know, shop the book, if you will, um, to a traditional publisher my book coach had advised that the parable format is, you know, less of something, you know, less common and less typical for traditional publishers. 
And um, it gave us much more control to be able to, you know, control the timing um, and get it out in the format that we wanted. It has illustrations in it. So being able to, you know, have all the illustrations, you know, exactly where we wanted. So it was just, it was mostly those were the two reasons. I noticed the illustrations. They really got my attention. Did you work with an artist who read the manuscript or did you tell the artist, this is what I'm looking for? Because they are quite distinct illustrations. We provided guidance. It was not a matter of reading the manuscript and then interpreting it. We actually gave the guidance of what we wanted to see in the illustrations. Interesting. I interviewed another person, Jennifer Fondreve, who you may know from C-Suite as well, who hired a, a person who did caricatures. Mm. Her book was on mergers and acquisitions and some of the personalities that develop during the process of trying to integrate two different companies. And she went through the same process that you did of explaining the concepts of the book. And this person was creating the drawings as she was writing the book before she was finished and was spot on in terms of the final product that he came up with. Uh, yours, uh, I think, really enhanced the book. Thank you. For sure. But what's next for you? Do you have another book inside you? <laughs> um, that's always a good question. Um, I sometimes think about that as to whether there's, you know, another story that I want to tell. Would I want to write a more traditional book? Um, I'm, I, still, I still contemplate that question and haven't, haven't determined whether that's the, where I want to put my energy right now. Well, you know that Patrick has done quite well with his business fables. Those books have yes. sold well, and he's done several that were in that genre that taught people concepts of management. Trying to think about when his books came out at least 10 years ago, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I always think of him related to, yes, he's got that perfect example of putting a story together. Now I've got another model that I can point to, which is your book. Thank you. Any other points that you'd like to share or any last minute tips that you can give a reader who is thinking about writing a book and is saying, you know, is it really worth all the work that goes into it? What would you say? Well, I think you have to really reflect on why you're writing the book. What, you know, what's your purpose? Why do you want to do this? And if it supports that why, then I would say absolutely go for it. One of the things I found most helpful for me was having very specific designated times when I was going to be writing. So I blocked the time on my calendar. For me, I needed to do it early in the day. That's when my energy is highest. And I was able to complete my first draft in uh, just under three months. And it was through that discipline of having the time designated of being held accountable by the, having a book coach. So I think that's an important thing to think about. Um, not only was I, you know, accountable to have something done by the time we met next, but I was paying this person. So, you know, it was my money that I was investing and that I think also helped me really stay focused. I tend to be a fairly self-disciplined person. Um, 
so I, the focus and, you know, being able to find the time to write wasn't that difficult for me, but it was, um, it was really fulfilling, you know, when I, when I finished the project and when I was able to get feedback from the reviewers and other people that read the book. And then of course, you know, when I won a national business book award, it's like, Hey, somebody besides my mother really likes this. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was fun and fulfilling. How can our listener find out more about you, the services that you offer and order a copy of the thriving hive? Well, my company's called Advancing Wellness, and we can be found on the internet at advwellness.com. And you can re read more about my book on, uh, on our website. You can find me on LinkedIn. And the book is available from Amazon in paperback, ebook, and also available on Audible. And let me spell your name. It is M-A-R-I, Mari and then Ryan, R-Y-A-N. And for those of you who are listening to this on our audio channels, the book is called The Thriving Hive. And for those of you who are watching this on our YouTube channel at Pat Iyer, you have seen me hold up the book, The Thriving Hive. The title of the book is the same, whether you're listening or you're watching. But I wanted to make sure that I was clear on the title because I sometimes forget that not everybody is watching our show and it adds another dimension if you tune into our YouTube channel. Thank you so much for being our guest and talking about your book. And thank you to you who is listening to this, who's invested a half an hour of your time to get inspired, to get new ideas about writing books, to see what books can do for your business and how you can take an area of expertise and create a business fable, yet another genre of book for you to consider. It's important as you think about the message that we've heard today to recognize that one of the things that Mari talked about was the importance of having a business coach. A business coach who is helping you with your book or also a book coach is an individual who can help keep you moving forward because it is so easy to lose your focus, to say, oh, I'll do it later, or I've got other priorities. And you've heard from Mari that a business book coach helped her stay on track so that she could get it done. I help people in that capacity as a book coach to assist individuals, shepherd the book through the process from the idea to the completion and the publication. So if that is of interest to you, please be sure to connect with me through my website at patire.com. And be sure to listen in next week when we have a new topic, a new guest, or if you're listening to shows and binge listening, you'll find another episode queued up right after this one. Thanks so much for being a listener of Writing to Get Business podcast. Hey, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today Marjorie Salson, we just finished a podcast recording, and I wanted to ask Marjorie, what is our listener or viewer going to get from your show? Well, Pat, perhaps if you're a writer, maybe the most important thing I share is how to totally avoid writer's block, <laughs> and then how to use your subconscious mind to help you write 
and how to separate out your creative side from your editorial side so that when you're being creative, you can tell your editor to shut up and stop interfering with your creation. <laughs> Those are great points, Marjorie, and they are ones that people find to be aggravating because they can get into a creative mode and then all of a sudden their own instincts to do editing interfere with the writing. So I'm sure that people will enjoy your program. They'll understand if they've been doing any writing at all, especially if they're working on a book, how knowing these tips can make their process flow much more easily. And thank you for sharing what you just did on the podcast and be sure to look for Marjorie Salson, S-A-U-L-S-O-N. Look for her show on Writing to Get Business podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.